Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from Embellish Pod, an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, I'll try to get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com, and it's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Uh, The whiskey podcasting community is both large and small, and I've had some good friends get the chance to talk with the folks from Old Line Spirits already, and I'll say I've been a little bit jealous of them since they got this opportunity. And So today it is my turn. Today I'll be welcoming Mark from Old Line to the podcast. I have the opportunity to have Mark from Old Line join me. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce your name, your last name, without you saying it first. So uh, if you would, just kind of give me a you know, quick elevator speech on Mark and Old Line Spirits. Sure. Well, thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Mark McLaughlin, uh, but, you know, it, I'll take anything. <laughs> but uh, I am one of the co-founders of Old Line Spirits here in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, my business partner, Arch Watkins, uh, wasn't able to join me today, but he and I uh, started Old Line. Uh, I guess we incorporated as business almost nine years ago, almost 10 years ago. Um, and we uh, we set out originally to make uh, bourbon and rye whiskey for all the reasons that anybody would. They're wonderful categories, uh, truly American spirits. <clears throat> and But we found ourselves actually very shortly after we set out on this journey, uh, having an opportunity to learn how to make whiskey from two gentlemen on the West Coast. And they were making this amazing American single malt whiskey uh, in Northwest Washington State, in a very tiny little town called Bow, Washington on Samish Island. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, we, we fell in love with what they were doing. Um, we had a veteran connection. We're, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan vets, they're Vietnam vets. And, you know, ultimately we went out there and kind of learned from from Bob and, and took over the business and relocated it back home to Baltimore. and. Here we are, you know, trying to be, uh, we feel like we are one of the uh, earliest adopters and on the front of the wave here for ASM with a bunch of other great distilleries. So you you just mentioned this, and, and this is one of the questions I have, you know, you, you relocated a distillery from the West Coast effectively to the East Coast. Like, do you just stick that in a U-Haul and drive? Like, is there some, like, what is that logistically like? That is exactly, that is no kidding, exactly what we did. So um, it's, it's hard to describe how small, uh, golden distillery was it was you know in a, a small barn which is even a generous term like a, a between a barn and a garage on bob's property uh and really this was two guys in their retirement years making whiskey that they wanted to drink and selling some to make a few you know a few bucks but it was really a passion project much more than a than a, than a kind of going concern business so to speak um and uh so this thing it was tiny it was a 60 gallon still which is maybe stands a little taller than me you know six let's say it's maybe six and a half feet tall. I'm six, two. So it's a little taller than me. And, um, you know, 156 or something t- at the time they were using small barrels, 10 gallon barrels. So we packed up all the, when it was time to buy the business and relocate it after we apprenticed all the uh, barrels went intermodal in a Connex container, everything else that all the assets we purchased is still, you know, the basic, very rudimentary equipment, um, you know, little tiny mash tons, those all fit to a 26 foot U-Haul. And uh, I did a little cannonball run across the country with us, um, with a stop in Kentucky, actually, uh, to get our still modified from open flame to electric. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's our, our little still. If you come visit, you'll see it here. We have it on display. But, you know, almost immediately after moving to Baltimore, we, you know, we're in 25,000 square feet here. So we've 
built it out. So we're a much bigger operation now. But yeah, it was uh, it was much easier to relocate than you might imagine, given how small it was. I can imagine, you know, you, you've got to cross a mountain at some point in time and driving a U-Haul with a still in it. It's got to be a little bit scary or sketchy. Um, how do you get to the point to where you and a friend decide that you're going to start up a whiskey business together? Like, How does this happen? Yeah. So, I mean, really, I think that uh, I'd say it probably was born for me out of actually dissatisfaction with my previous job. So, you know, my path after college uh, and Arches, both uh, we went to different colleges, but we both ended up in the Navy and we were uh, Naval Flight Officers. So we would think of Goose and Top Gun. We were the guy that managed the weapon system, the navigator, that sort of thing. And we both loved the Navy was the best thing that ever happened to me. I think Arches did the same thing. Um, loved every minute of it. Well, not every minute, but loved it. And, um, you know, after 10 years, I chose to get out to go to grad school, uh, got my MBA and became an investment banker. And uh, that was while I learned a lot and, and met a lot of really good people there, it was really not something that uh, I felt compelled to do. It was uh, I, I was kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. I think I didn't really like it. I was doing it to make a few bucks and uh, I was very unhappy. So for me, it was I kind of have to get how do I get out of this? And if I'm going to jump out of this career that I'm in uh, for the reason that I'm so dissatisfied, I don't like it. Well, what can I do that would be something I really do want to do? Like this is an opportunity to to not just go to something slightly less bad, but to really embrace what I want my future to be. And, you know, I've always wanted to own a business. I, I love the kind of the lore and the romance behind making a product, you know, like a whiskey and that you have to make it and age it. And it was kind of a romance and, and, a, and a, an excitement to that. And the, the market was just starting to really bloom as far as, you know, craft spirits. So all those things came together and my wife saw how unhappy I was. And she uh, she's a person who really values stability so that's a really a testament to her that when I said I want to quit my job to do this and she supported me, it was not easy for her to do, but she did. So that's kind of how I quit and uh, my job and moved into this. And then Arch, uh, he enjoyed his career. He was an engineer, so he wasn't dissatisfied per se. But I think uh, when I made this jump a few weeks later, he starts kicking around the idea. He's like, hey, man, you want a partner? I said, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think this kind of scratch and itch for him is something he wanted to do with his life. So it, it was just, uh, you know. I'm, I'm thankful that I disliked my old job so much that it forced me to do this because it really forced me to go my own way. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've had this conversation with my children as people often do, you can either, you know, work for money to do something that you're passionate about, right. Outside of work, or you can work for something that you're passionate about and hope that you can find a way to make it you know, profitable. Um, sure. and it yeah. feels like that's kind of the direction you've taken is you found a thing that you were passionate about, but, um, also found a way to make it, um, work monetarily speaking. And so old line really focuses pretty heavily in the American single malt realm. Um, and, and you said, you know, you kind of have this old still, but you've, you know, effectively archived it. It is now a historical mm -hmm. artifact for you. Um, do, do you do all of your production on side or do you, you know, have you gone the route of, of sourcing some of your whiskey? So we do both. Uh, so we do, so we don't do all of it on site. Um, when we moved from the West coast to Baltimore, uh, we you know, had this 25,000 square foot facility that at the time was empty. Uh, the short version is it, it was kind of a nightmare to get open. We had, uh, uh, you know, there's all the regulatory stuff that every distillery has to deal with. And we had a couple of real estate issues as well. So it, it kind of drew this whole process out um, much longer than we thought. So we had started to work with um, a company in Columbus, Ohio called Middle West Spirits originally just to store our barrels and do some initial bottling for us while we got in our feet. 
um, and we started to, to deplete products. But when every month that went by that we weren't making more, uh, our anxiety was growing that, yeah, this, this, <laughs> this could only go on so long. And Middle West uh, was willing to work with us as a contract producer. Um, and in a way that at the time, uh, I'm sure this may have changed at the time that in a way that no one else was willing to do it in the sense that they were allowing us to use, you know, to off, to give to them, Hey, here's our process, you know, that we do in this little 60 gallon still, we want to adapt this to your, you know, 48 inch Vendome column still with 6,000 gallon fermenters. But, hey, can you help us through that? And we want it to be our mash bill and our yeast. Uh, and we also want to be involved. And you know, Ryan Lang at uh, Middle West, if you haven't met him, you should. He's a phenomenal guy, great company. He was going to do all those things. And so it allowed us to not only make our product uh, to our spec, uh, but in hindsight, we didn't realize at the time one of the big values was that you know, we had learned enough to be dangerous learning from Bob. You know, Bob is a, is a phenomenal human being and made great whiskey. But, you know, Bob was messing around in his retirement years. He wasn't really... You know, it wasn't a chemist by trade. He wasn't, you know, he was doing this for fun, which is great. But the guys at Middle West really helped us uh, kind of professionalize our process. And those are lessons learned that when we started producing here in Baltimore, that we apply to our 300 gallons still here. So the backbone of our production, uh, as far as distillation, is is with Middle West, and it will be for the foreseeable future. We love working with them and see no reason to change. But we do a small run stuff here, like our what becomes our bottled and bonds, uh, our peated, which is a small portfolio for us, but you know, we'll make the peated here. The little bit of rye whiskey that I know we uh, may talk about here in a little bit, a very, very small amount of rye that we do, we do here. So, um, but most of our emphasis here is on uh, barrel aging, managing that process, uh, any sort of blending we might do. And uh, it's, you know, global headquarters of old mines, so to speak. Yeah, and so you know, I'm I'm very familiar with with Middle West, and they make some very amazing spirits as it is, right? Their their mm-hmm. their line is is fantastic. Um, how did you identify them as a partner for you know the initial um, barrel barrel warehousing and and bottling, and then subsequently the the distillation? Like, how, how do you you, know, you like look up on the internet places <laughs> I can store barrels, or um, did you already know about them? So we met them through one of our, our board members, uh, uh, Richard Wolf, uh, who unfortunately passed away about a year ago. Uh, an amazing guy, um, and uh, he's got a deep he had a deep deep industry experience, <clears throat> including working for years at Buffalo Trace Sazerac as a general manager of Buffalo Trace Distillery, and and then he became he hung up his own shingle as a consultant, um, and we met him, and, and he was uh, at first a consultant and then a, a consultant slash board member for us until he passed away. Um, Richard knew Ryan well, and uh, so when we were looking for uh, a partner, just kind of, kind of in the interim, you know, they came up as, an, as a potential option. Uh, and one of the reasons that um, you know, there's other places you can store your barrels, other places you can bottle. But one of the reasons that I think Richard was encouraging us to go to Middle West is that he knew that you know some sort of contract production was going to be in our future. We all knew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always envisioned it would kind of go the more traditional way, where we max out our existing still. And then move to contract to supplement, but because of you know what I told you before, as far as the uh, the real estate issues we had, it forced us to kind of flip that around. Mm-hmm. Um, but Richard knew that that was going to be part of our future, and he thought really highly of, of Ryan and his team. So it, he just pointed us in that direction, and it was one of the best introductions we've ever had. And you know, uh, distilling is such a speculative game to begin with, right? Like you've got to um, make something, put it in a barrel, hope that it comes out the other side of the barrel really good, but you've got to hold on to it for a period of time. And, and a lot of people are using contract distilling to get there um, uh, to, to make sure they have sufficient quantities on hand for you know f- future demand. 
when you think about the beginning of you know old line to now um did did you expect to be at the success level you are on this time frame or did you expect it to take longer shorter you know uh that's a that's a really good question and a big question i'd say i'll try to answer it as best i can i'd say that uh like any other business you know like there are certain things i think that um probably came together a little more quickly than we expected but most things have been you know uh, we, we had a, an investor one day say to us, Hey, you know, guys, you got a great plan here, but this is going to take you twice as long as you think and cost twice as much. Cause that's just the way it works. You know? And I remember thinking like, Oh yeah, sure, man, whatever. No, this is airtight, <laughs> you know? And he's right. Everything takes twice as long. It costs twice as much, but you know, uh, but we find a way. So yeah, I'd, I'd say that we are very happy with where we are. Um, but it, you know, if you asked, you know, eight years ago, Mark, um, would I think we'd be in more than you know six markets? Yes, you know the answer is yes, but uh, but we're happy with where we are. You know, we definitely uh, right now. I think the big thing for us is that we want to keep growing our brand, keep making the best whiskey we can, and, and deepening relationships with you know whiskey clubs and trendsetters and play, and people who really do care. Guys like you that really do care about um, what companies like us are doing. And when the American single malt category as that continues to grow, I think our opportunities will grow exponentially with it. Um, so yeah. So I don't know if that really answered your, your, your question or not. No, you, you did, you did. Uh, and you, you touched on two things and you know, one's going to be the first question. Then we'll have another one a couple minutes later. Um, you, I think you said you're in six markets, but what is, what does your distribution look like right now? Like, you know, what States are you in? Where can I go get a bottle? Right. Sure. Where, where can I make sure that I can do this? Is there online offerings? You know, what is that? Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm actually glad you asked because we just updated our, our e-com, but I'll, uh, I'll end on that. Uh, I'll start with, um, we are distributed in Maryland, DC, Delaware, uh, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Colorado um, <clears throat> for a host of reasons. You know, Colorado is kind of the outlier, but there's several reasons why we, we get that market a shot early on. Um, but we've, uh, we've also um, recently updated our website to integrate more seamlessly with uh, an e-com platform. So people can go to our website, oldlinespirits.com and click shop and build a basket right there. And everything uh, we endeavor, and right now I think we, we do have everything that's available here at the distillery where I'm sitting uh, is available on there for shipping to like 42 states. If you go to the website, if you know somebody's in a state yeah. that, you know, Massachusetts is an example where my family is, where I'm from, they can't ship, you know, they can't ship to Massachusetts, but they can ship to most states. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then the, the, the second part of that, um, was, I lost it now <laughs> in six markets. Um, so American single malt, right? So you guys are, are heavily focused. I mean, that's, that's, that's the primary function here. Um, and American single malt is one of the most interesting segments of, uh, whiskey in North America to me right now. Um, and if I had to guess, and I'd be wrong here, but if I had to guess Colorado playing a heavy role in that is because of beer culture leading into American single malt culture in Colorado, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but the, the bigger question is, right, you know, there, there's, you know, there's some rules that are being proposed that haven't been accepted. I've, uh, I, I did an episode maybe almost two and a half, three years ago when I thought that the regulation was in, was like, like impending to be done. I'm like, all right, we're about to have an American yeah. single malt. And now we're like three years later and it's still not solidified, but um, <laughs> yeah. you guys are using, um, I think you're using new charred oak barrels for your American single malt. What, 
what makes you make that decision as opposed to using an, an ex bourbon barrel or um, non new new oak? Yeah, uh, I love that question. So for us, uh, yeah, you're 100 right that uh, everything that we age with, with min- and we have a couple of experimental things that we've put into um, second or third use oak just to you know get a data point to see you know if we're not experimenting then you know we're going to be stagnant. So we have put some uh, new make into things besides virgin oak just again to uh, to see what happens, but everything that we put to market, uh, and 99.9% of what we have in the warehouse is all in virgin Oak. Uh, and the primary reason that we do that, first of all, that's what Bob and Jim were doing. And that's the whiskey we fell in love with, right? That, that beautiful combination of, you know, what we feel are some of the best things about a single malt scotch and some of the best things we think about, you know, an American bourbon or American rye. Um, so yeah, it, we, we just fell in love with that whiskey. And also, you know, I mentioned earlier, Arch and I set out originally to make bourbon uh, and or rye. So, you know, we're American guys. We're American whiskey drinkers. We came up in the world of bourbon and rye as, as consumers, you know, uh, in our younger years to today. So that always drew us in that kind of the, the, the caramel, the vanilla, the baking spices, you know, all those kind of wonderful things that you get from that virgin oak or what we want to put in our whiskey. Uh, one way I describe it sometimes is we're trying to, uh, you know, it, deliver all a lot of the, like basically all the flavors that a bourbon drinker loves. We're trying to deliver that, but in a very, very different package. So, you know, I liken it sometimes I'm not a DJ, but I can imagine a DJ booth with like the levers, you know, make one thing mm-hmm. higher, one thing lower, like all the levers, you know, for our product and for a bourbon are, are largely the same. It's just, they're at very, very different levels. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the kind of whiskey we like to drink. So that's, that's why we do the virgin. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a high degree of success there, but, you know, it's just one of those things that sort of, uh, I don't say diverges, but it is um, do you're putting yourself in a little bit more of a restriction than the standard American single malt definition that's been proposed is. Um, and then this one's a little more maybe theoretical or whatever, but we have we have this proposal of a definition. And I think you guys have have you know been a part of that discussion mm-hmm. to some degree. Um, is there any part of that definition that um you you think hey, man i wish we had done something slightly different with you know uh that's a great question i'd say and the answer is i think pretty much no i mean we've been very very uh happy with the way the definitions come together to your point yeah we are part of the american single malt whiskey commission we're you know one, one of many but proud to be part of it uh and the only thing i can and i forget exactly where we landed on this honestly there was the last kind of discussion point that i recall coming up was whether uh American single malt should be allowed to use artificial coloring. Um, and I forget where we landed on that. My opinion was, you know, we, we don't use it. We don't, I mean, our stuff's in virgin oak anyway, like you, it's got plenty of color. Right. Um, I believe my personal opinion was, Hey, let's yeah, sure. Why not? Like if somebody wants to use it, the Scots can use it, you know, it doesn't change mm-hmm. the flavor. Uh, and honestly, I forget where we landed on that one, but I, I wasn't really hard up either way because it doesn't really affect your know, old line at all. Um, and I don't think it negatively affects the industry either way. Uh, so, but yeah, for, for the most part, um, everything that has been decided upon, we've been supportive of, and you know, it's very helpful that we already were preemptively adhering to all those guidelines. So it made it really easy for us to support, uh, cause right. it didn't cause us to change anything we're doing. But I, what I love about it is that it, it, you know, it's, well, it's not trying to recreate scotch as, as that's clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that it's, you know, scotch and bourbon and, and rye and all these things are very highly defined for very, very good reason. These, these you know, long standing, amazing categories of whiskey that really want to protect what that category is. And that's, I think, 
it makes complete sense in the you know all the sense in the world. Uh, American single malt's new, and you know we want to make sure that we leave it. You know, we as a as a you know group of producers leave it defined enough to protect the category, so we don't have somebody coming in there mm -hmm. doing something really wacky and and kind of hurting the name, uh, but also right. wide enough where we can have you know innovation and and really kind of mm -hmm. find our own way. And I think that the commission did a really good job of of kind of keeping it the swim lane really really appropriate. Yeah, and I think the only the only person that I've person the only the only comment that i've had from anyone who has been a part of the discussion that said you know the only thing they might tweak is instead of it being a hundred percent malted barley it's just hundred percent malted grain right and so it could be any single grain that's a hundred percent of that right so if you have a hundred percent malted rye or a hundred percent malted corn that would still fall in the american single malt thing but that also leads to too broad of of palate difference Right. And so sure. if you don't know specifically, it's malted corn versus malted versus malted barley. Those are all three going to be three wildly different whiskeys. Um, 100%. Yeah. Still fall in the same yeah. And I'm, yeah. And I agree. I'm very, uh, I'm very glad we kept it at malted barley. Not that the, you can't have amazing whiskeys that are made with all these other grains, but you know, from, in my opinion, I'm glad we kept it with the malted barley. I think that was kind of a, a really important anchor mm -hmm. point in my mind. Yeah. And so um, you said, you know, that they're on site, you guys are, are doing uh, your blending how do you go about building your blends, right? And so you have kind of two standard offerings that are out there. You have the the American Single Malt that is the flagship, and then it's the I'm trying to look at the label that was written here, and it's tiny. Um, the Navy Strength, yeah. So you have you have you have these two. Um, I assume the play the flavor profiles are supposed to be as similar as possible, just kind of varying off of cask. But how do you build your blends? Sure. Uh, so for us, well, to your last point there. Um, you know, distilleries do it differently than, than each other. Some distilleries, you know, have their their regular kind of proof and their high proof, maybe a different age or you know some sort of different profile. We uh, have opted. We've you know messed around with that concept, but for us, we've opted that. You know, the only difference between our Navy Strength and our 95 proof is simply the proofing. That there is, it keeps it very very similar, very close, but nicely different. You know, it's kind of that right that enough just enough air or light between the two that. Um, I think keep them nicely separated, but still definitively, you know, siblings, uh, if not, you know, what do you call it? Uh, non, non identical twins. That's probably a little too close, but, yeah. uh, uh, but you know, so that's what we wanted to do there. So, um, but yeah, for us, as far as what goes into those two products, uh, it's a, uh, it's going to be a blend of four, five and six, actually four, five, six and seven year old, um, 53 gallon number four char barrels and for us uh, a couple ways we do this so you know as a smaller distillery you know uh and a growing distillery i think consumers understand and expect that there's going to be some you know movement over time as we continue to dial in really you know what is the best flavor profile we can find and we're really really i think we're pretty much there now you know might move a little bit but really not much so to maintain consistency we have a three thousand gallon blending tank and we don't let that get below 25 percent or so uh, so there's always a little bit of that back the last batch in there to help with consistency and then it's at figuring out you know tasting samples of different four five and six year old barrels and seven year old barrels to come up with what we feel is for this particular point in time the right ratio to get this flavor profile so you know i'll just make up some things you know the next one maybe will be hey how about maybe we have a lot of five year in there for whatever reason uh and a lot of seven but not a lot of four and six but you know, that might not be the same ratio the next time we do it. So there's got to be that person in the loop, that kind of blending. And that person in the loop is our distiller, Jerry, my business partner, Arch. And, you know, I jump in with an opinion here and there. So, um, 
so it's basically um, you, you're working with a moving target. So it takes that kind of hand holding to achieve that consistency, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm curious, as, as you're kind of developing these, do you like you know, hold back a bottle from each you know blend and say, all right, we're kind of seeing what our drift is, if we're staying really close to our profile? Um, and then how does that compare against the original spirit that you kind of began with, right, in, in smaller so we, barrels and whatnot? We absolutely do keep those samples. I'd say uh, I think that's uh, a very good practice, and, and we certainly do. Uh, and the, the product now is meaningfully different from the original stuff for a couple of reasons, and uh, and all of which are deliberate. Is that I mentioned earlier that uh, Bob and, and Jim were using um, ten gallon barrels to age, and those are really tricky to use. Now they ended up coming out with a with a product that I think was very very good, um, you know, more than very good. It was it was excellent, but still, there's only so much, only so far a small barrel will take you, in my humble opinion. So we immediately, when we took over the business, started phasing out the small barrels, and we went into, you know, got rid of the tens. We were filling thirties when, you know, with those mature, we emptied thirties. Uh, but all the while, we have been putting down fifty threes to ultimately get to where we are now to use the American standard barrel. Uh, and that the profile has changed uh, a number of times. Actually, the biggest jump it made might have been the most recent one because the the thirties and the tens, they kind of. I mean, the 30s, I think, are better, uh, but they kind of trend a little bit together uh, as far as flavor profile. Uh, but the 30s to the 53s, that was a big leap. And I, it was definitely a leap in a great direction, but I was concerned because, you know, even though I think I think most people think it's even better than it was, it's different. Mm-hmm. And that, that can, that, you know, people who get behind a certain thing might be a little bit annoyed or unsettled that, wait a minute, this what's, what's happened here? What's changed? Uh, luckily, we, we've had a really good response from it. So... Um, but we do. So right now, I think that that consistency has become more important to us because in the past couple of years, we knew there was going to be that change as the tens went away and the thirties went away. Um, and, you know, and we started, we were finished depleting stuff that came off the 60 gallon pot still. And we started incorporating stuff that came off the, you know, the stuff at middle West, all those things we knew were going to happen. Um, so we've always kept that library, but now I think really in the past year or so is where that library becomes a lot more relevant because now we have hit that kind of forever profile that we want to keep pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. And I think I read you guys also make a uh, Caribbean rum. Is that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, is there, is there any opportunity where you're going to kind of play with those two spirits together where you're going to put, you know, old line American single malt in a, in a rum cask and put the rum in an old line American single malt cask and kind of play off of each other like that. 100% we've done that and we love it. So um, mm-hmm. one of the, um, well, as for the reasons we do the, with the rum, there's a number, uh, a number of reasons. One of which we're former Navy guys, and rum is kind of part of the Navy culture. Uh, mm-hmm. We love barrel-aged spirits in general. So when we were starting out and looking to see what other spirits could complement our portfolio and help us grow the business, um, for for us, uh, a barrel-aged rum made a lot of sense because uh, we found a blender who could help us make this amazing blend. We have access to the barrels, uh, and uh, anyway, there's a lot of reasons we did it. Uh, and one of the big things we were excited about is, you know, uh, you know, like many people, we were familiar with the Caribbean cast concept of, you know, from like Belvini and things like that. Loved what they were doing, and we've done that as well. So we take that blend of rum comes to us uh, a minimum of seven years old, uh, up mm-hmm. to eleven years old. So you know, in the rum world, as you may know, aging can be a little bit squirrely uh we're very adamant our blender knows that the youngest barrel he buys is seven because we want to make sure we do an age statement the way the whiskey world does it um so the uh it comes to us already age at least seven years up to 11 12 years 
And then the blend comes to us and a portion of that we set aside to go into our freshly emptied malt casks. And then to your point, when those get emptied, we put single malt back in them. So it's a, it's a really nice thing. We've actually had several stores um, buy a barrel of American single malt, taste the rum, say, hey, just take that same barrel, fill it with rum for eight months or a year, when empty that and then put whiskey back in it. So people have done like that one, two, three in the same barrel. And it's kind of a fun project. And I think, you know, rum definitely makes sense, you know, because if all you have to do is look at history, you know, at one point, uh, rum was a part of the daily rations for the United States Navy, and it transitioned to whiskey only because cost, right? Like, when people started distilling whiskey in the United States, it became cheaper than using Caribbean rum as your um, daily ration. And, you know, we got to be fiscally responsible. Uh, so it makes a ton of sense. I, I get that. Um, and, I, and I know we're getting close on time, but uh, tell me a little bit about the Ohana blend. Yeah, so uh, the Ohana blend, it, well, the whiskey itself uh, is a 50-50 uh, blend of our American single malt finished in cognac casks and American single malt finished in Armagnac casks. Um, and it's a uh, two of our, you know, really special finishes we've done, uh, and it came into a really nice blend. So we're very proud of the product. But the reason that the, uh, the name Ohana was applied to it and the reason that the bottle really exists is that we, in the past uh, about year and a half, via our mutual friend Tracy at SSPR, um, were introduced to uh, a gentleman named Paul Lore, who's a former Marine, um, lives down in Florida now. And a couple of years ago, he uh, had the crazy idea to um, get together a team and to row an open boat across the Atlantic from, I think it was Florida to Spain or Portugal or wherever it was, uh, to raise money for two causes. One was a children's cancer. Uh, research fund and uh, one is uh, an organization called Canines for Warriors, which, as the name would suggest, they uh, train service dogs for veterans uh, in uh, in need uh, and at risk of, of suicide uh, and pair up veterans with those dogs. They're a great organization. So we met Paul about a year ago because he was doing a second row, this time across the Pacific from California to Hawaii. And the name Team Ohana was used, I believe Ohana means family. And we just fell in love with, with what they were doing. I mean, a guy who'd never rowed a boat in his life decides to row across an ocean. To, you know, how can you not get kind of behind that? And right. uh, so, yeah, so we the Ohana blend, uh, every uh, every penny of profit from that, uh, it's a $100 bottle, of which I'm going to say like, you know, $85 per bottle goes to, uh, we you know, we just cover our costs. And the rest of it goes to Canines for Warriors. Uh, and, um, uh, and now we've since partnered with canines for warriors for a we do a every year we do a kind of veteran estate promotion where we you know pick an organization and and work with them and try to support them uh so this is our first year and probably a, hopefully many years working with canines for warriors where uh, in select markets and via our website um anybody who buys a bottle between now and the end of the year five dollars from that uh bottle of whiskey goes to canines for warriors so we found it, uh, an organization that we feel strongly about uh and they're they're fun to work with and they're fun to support yeah. And I know we're right at time. So I'm going to leave kind of one last question here for you. Um, I think tonight you guys are going to be at a riot revival um, event um, in Maryland. And I don't know if that's a sold out event or not, but if anybody, you know, wants awareness, maybe they probably need to look to this to next year because this, this episode won't be out you know, before, before you guys go to the event, but you're going to be um, debuting. And we had an opportunity to talk about this a little bit offline. So it's not like, you know, I knew this, uh, we just, you just told me about it 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Um, but you'll be preview, previewing a rye whiskey um, that 
may eventually become a very, very limited, limited, but recurring offering. And so kind of tell me a little bit about this event um, and, and what your participation kind of means for this particular recurring offering. Sure. Uh, yeah. So the Rye Revival uh, event, the idea is it's uh, the Maryland Distillers Guild, of which we are a member, um, has been part of uh, well, they're, they're a wonderful organization. One of the things that the guild has advanced uh, over the past couple of years and secured into law, uh, I guess it was this year, was that you know rye whiskey is officially the state uh, spirit of Maryland. And uh, Maryland, uh, many of your listeners may know, but some might not, that historically uh, Maryland and Pennsylvania uh, uh, were big rye whiskey producing states. Uh, they actually had different styles of rye whiskey, but both of the states were so Maryland, you know, it's historically a, a big spirit produced here. And uh, so Old Line, you know, we've our, our path is American single malt, uh, but we found a way that we could uh, tap into that culture and kind of be, be a part of that in a way that was very true to what our company does. And the way we're doing that is we've actually partnered with a brewery uh, called Monument City Brewing. They're about two blocks from here and they make a wonderful beer called 51 Rye, which is 51% rye and 49% malted barley. Uh, and we partnered with them to uh, have them produce the mash and we get the wort. Um, and it's basically it's basically the same thing they used to make their beer without the hops. And then we ferment it and distill it uh, here in Baltimore. So we've got a, a, I think it's a two-year-old straight rye. It's going to age longer, but that's you know where it's at now uh, that we're kind of teasing out tonight. Um, so it's our way of being part of that rye culture in Maryland, but in our in a way that you know is kind of cool and different. That you know most ryes are, as you know, probably anywhere from seventy to ninety-five to one hundred percent rye and a little bit of corn, maybe a little malt mixed in. But we're going heavy in the malt because we're malt guys, and uh, it's it's a fun project. So we're really pleased with how it's coming along, and uh, and it will be yeah, a recurring. We're actually going to distill some more here in a few weeks, so it's uh, going to be a recurring thing over the years, but limited. That's I, I I can only imagine you know I've I've had the opportunity to taste taste both the 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 Navy Strength and the flagship and their their phenomenal American single malts and um, you. you guys probably hear that regularly but um, American single malts a broad category and there's some really great stuff out there and there's some um, stuff that just needs some development and um, you guys are at the it feels like at the top of the game so I can only imagine this rise is going to be fantastic as well. Um, Thank you. W- will it be available for online purchase or is this going to be a local distillery only release? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, the answer is, I don't know. Uh, we okay. will be releasing it. Um, the first release it will be, uh, we have an annual event called a, a spring, we have a spring fling and a fall fling. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just parties we throw at the distillery. And so this will be released at the spring fling next in 2024. So next spring, uh, date, specific date TBD, uh, to definitely at the distillery. And if I had to guess right now, we'd probably put a couple of cases uh, on the website as well. Um, but uh I don't want to say anything I can't back off from. So put, put a little asterisk next to that statement. Yeah, I'll, I'll put an asterisk there. That's merely for my own personal curiosity. Sure. Um, because, yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 anything that departs from 95.5 Rye, I'm, I'm ready to taste, right? Because there's well, a lot uh, of stuff out there that's that. So. Regardless of where it lands on, on the website or not, uh, let's stay in touch and we'll make sure we get you yeah. something to, to try Absolutely. So, Mark, uh, I have more questions, but we, you know, we're we're already over time a little bit. Um, I appreciate the time. Um, it's it's very 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 apparent that you guys are doing all of the right things, um, both from a business and from a um, product standpoint. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, you guys have some serious credentials coming from, you know, Johns Hopkins and Darden School of Business. Those are both um, phenomenal, phenomenal um, educational institutions. And so the business is going to be on point. Um, but you've been able to develop a fantastic product as well, as well at least in my opinion. And, um, that's 
that and you know a dollar will get you a newspaper maybe uh, my opinion in the dollar so um but th- thank you so much for the time the, the opportunity to to talk about what you guys have and, and the ability to taste it it's, it's been super fun well john thank you so much this is uh i enjoy the conversation this is the the it still amazes me that you know that guys like you want to talk to guys like me that you guys you know like what we're doing it means a lot to me that you do and um and just thank you for for take the time to talk to us this is uh this is great yeah it's it's and i think we're on the exact opposite side of that where we're surprised that folks who are busy trying to run a business and be successful are willing to stop and take time to talk to the the whiskey nerds that sit in a room in the dark with a microphone and effectively talk to themselves (laughs) i love it uh anytime so thank you and uh hopefully we'll, we'll do it again Thanks for tuning in to this offering from Embellish Pod. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at TikTok or Instagram using Embellish Pod and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com. It's all of my links, accounts, and contact details. Thanks for stopping by.